Our second <laughs> scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all, uh, and all the region along with the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying down at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff will be burned with an unquenchable fire. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Several weeks ago, I mean, it was probably still summertime, Emily Pale and I were talking about the schedule for adult education, trying to put a schedule together for the Sunday school classes. And we decided that I would teach an Advent series, which she and I were both really excited about, me maybe more than her, because I love Advent. Um, and it took me a really long time to settle on a topic for the class, partly because I love Advent so much I didn't really know where to start. But when I finally did, I wrote up a paragraph describing the class and sent it to Emily, to which she responded, Emma, you're kind of scaring me. <laughs> well, you know, sure. Um, suggesting that the birth of the baby Jesus is a herald of the end times is a, like a mite aggressive. Um, but honestly, have you guys met John the Baptist? <laughs> I mean, seriously, he has some thoughts and feelings that don't particularly align with the bright and warm and hopeful feelings that December brings with it. At least I didn't call anyone a brood of vipers yet. John the Baptist doesn't feel particularly like the best person to kick off Advent. After a weekend celebrating Thanksgiving with our loved ones and then likely with unquenchable Christmas decorations, Coming to church for broods of vipers and burning chaff with unquenchable fire feels abrupt. A podcast that I listened to recently noted that Jesus' birth really only gets headlines in two of the Gospels, 
and we've got John the Baptist's appearance in all four, to which the hosts added, ew, John, why are you ruining Christmas? And can you blame them? It is really easy to hear John's words and almost recoil from the harshness. Particularly as we settle comfortably into the holiday season, John's words are like a a blunt instrument, abrupt, aggressive, and raw. But really, that is very much who John is, raw. The man lives in a rocky, barren wasteland. He eats locusts. He cries out about the coming Messiah. John is raw, and it is disruptive. And the truth is, John the Baptist is deeply important. In fact, I would say vital to our experience of Advent. We need John the Baptist with all of his intensity and fire to prepare us for the birth of Jesus. This strange man in the wilderness puts an end to our romanticized, emotional look um, to the coming of an infant and points us to the coming of the kingdom of heaven. We meet John in the wilderness. In those days, Matthew's gospel tells us, John appeared in the wilderness. And this account does not offer us any backstory. From these verses, it seems as though this wild man wearing fur and eating locusts just sort of popped up out of the ground, appearing to make this bold proclamation and urging people to repent. However, because John appears in all four Gospels, we know quite a bit more about who he is and how he became the baptizing prophet that we meet in Matthew. The Gospel, according to Luke, gives us a full picture of John. Born to parents who were quite old and had long struggled to conceive, both his father, Zechariah, and his mother, Elizabeth, come from priestly lines in the people of Israel. They can trace their lineage to the priests of old. And Zechariah is serving as a priest when he finds out that Elizabeth will conceive a son. The angel who meets Zechariah in the temple declares both that John is coming and the role that John will play in the world. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The son born to Elizabeth and Zechariah, says the angel Gabriel, will turn people back to God. With the power of Elijah, the prophet of old, John will remind them of who they were meant to be. There is something inherent in John that harkens back to the promises of God, to the words of the prophets. Yes, he uses Isaiah's words here in Matthew's gospel and all of the other gospel accounts, but there is also something about his person, his physical description. Gabriel mentions Elijah directly in Luke's gospel and even even his, his physicality resembles Elijah which is, in fact, a fulfillment of the prophet Malachi. Malachi chapter 4 says, Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. 
So much of who John is and what he does um, looks back at the past. It is no coincidence that his father, Zechariah's name, literally means God remembers. There is power both for the original Jewish audience and for us in memory. For one, memory or remembering is a characteristic of God. The Old Testament is littered with references to God remembering God's people. God remembers and then acts on the behalf of God's people. And the Psalms often feature the writer asking for God to remember him. Remembering the past matters because it tells us the truth of who God is and who God created us to be. It tells us that our God is one of kept promises, of covenants. When we feel the absence of the divine, when we think there is no reason to hope, we call out to God to remember because we remember, and we can do so because the covenant is permanent. God remembers Elizabeth and Zechariah, gives them John, In the life and work of John the Baptist, we remember the words of God from Isaiah and from Malachi. And then, of course, John points to another promise from the prophets, a promise being fulfilled in the very midst of the people who hear it. John's whole career, his whole identity really, is about pointing to the one who is greater, the one who is coming. John's role is to proclaim the coming of Jesus, to proclaim it and to prepare those who hear hear it. Because it isn't just about knowing that Jesus is coming, of course, preparations must be made for his arrival. Something in the world will fundamentally shift when Jesus is born and on the scene. When God walks the earth, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child shall lead them. Jesus' birth is an end to what was and an invitation to a new beginning. It is great and huge and something humanity is truly unprepared for, and that is why we need John. John's call to repent is a call to get yourself in order for this magnificent thing that is to come, the promise that is being fulfilled. Repentance or metanoia in Greek means turning or like a total change of oneself. And John's insistence for a change of self is not about guilt or acknowledging depravity, but rather about aligning oneself to God and Christ. People have often taken John's words and thrown them around in a way that suggests the world is going you know where in a handbasket and folks better turn before they burn. But, but rather, the point here is preparation for the age of the Messiah, for the age of Jesus, because something is ending and something new and wonderful is beginning. Preparation is necessary. And for John, to prepare for the coming Messiah, we have to repent. We have to turn. We turn and we look back and we see where it is that we've gotten off track. What have I done? What should I have done that I did not do? What did I do that I should not have? 
how do I get on the right road and then walk forward? When people turn to the right path, when the disobedient turn to the wisdom of the righteous, then they are a people prepared for the Lord. That is how John prepares us for Advent, by urging, or insisting really, that we take a look back at ourselves so that we can appropriately turn things around before the arrival of God incarnate. We talked about this in Sunday school a little bit today. What does it mean to be prepared, right, for Jesus' arrival? And I think the only thing really that I could say is if we are preparing for the kingdom of God, then we act now to bring the kingdom of God here. That means we align ourselves with the things that God loves, the least among us, the poor, the downtrodden, and we do everything in our power as individuals to make things better. That is all we can do, right? Is work in our small corner of the world to bring the kingdom of God here. John the Baptist, he is good and necessary, raw as he is. John demands both that we be honest about what the arrival of the Messiah really means and that we be honest about where we are. It is a great and a lovely thing to celebrate the birth of the baby Jesus, but that is really the only beginning of this world-turning event, and we have to be ready. We must not speak of God's love coming down at Christmas without remembering that the divine love is fierce in its judgment upon those who resist love's demand. How do we resist God's love? How do we resist giving it to others? The chaff that needs to be burnt away exists in all of us. We are all ill-prepared for the arrival of Jesus, but Advent is a time to remember the love and grace of God that is always with us and then respond to it. It is the invitation to change yourself, to enter into a new life in the love and grace of God in Jesus Christ. It is huge and disruptive and so hopeful. Hopeful because the brokenness we see in ourselves and in the world is not the final word. We are able to look forward to something new that is coming to the kingdom of heaven and know that this is not the way the world will always be. Change is coming, and that is really good news. Friends, it is my hope that as we enter this busy season that you would allow yourselves to be changed by the good news, that you would remember the grace of, and love of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ and be turned, be transformed, repent, sisters and brothers, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Thanks be to God.